Hebrews chapter 12. I want to bring you something. Oh, and don't let me forget to remind you that Sunday school, Lord willing, will be starting this Sunday at 10 a.m. Sunday school at 10 a.m. And so the men will be meeting in here. The ladies will go to the fellowship hall. We want to get that back going again. And so we're looking forward to that. So Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk to you tonight about, uh, about what this passage deals with here. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, let's, let's look at verses 1 and 2. All right, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Familiar passages of Scripture, I know to you. The Bible says in, here in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to talk to you tonight about running your race. And you say, well, Brother Ed, have you looked at us lately? You know, uh, you know, running our race. Don't you think I'm a little old to run my race? No, I don't. Do you know how old Moses was when he, uh, when he started, uh, you know, the work for God? He was 40 years in Egypt, right? And the Bible says in the book of Acts in chapter 7, I think it's around verse 21, it says that Moses was trained in all that was learned, I should say, learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. Well, what good is the wisdom of Egypt? Egypt always represents the world. So he had to go on the backside of the desert to the area called Midian, get a wife, and get an education. An education about what? About shepherding sheep. You remember, you remember the Egyptians, man, shepherds were an offense to Egyptians. That's the reason why they had to be out there in a land by themselves. So Moses wasn't accustomed to being around sheep. If he saw them, he always saw them at, at a distance. Remember, he was the kind of like second in charge there at Pharaoh's house. And even though he was a Jew, he had nothing to do with that. And so it wasn't until the age of 40 that he began to go to, uh, to the desert school of Bible. All right. And he got back there and then it took him 40 years, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years I don't know how far that is from Roswell, brother, New Mexico, but a little ways up back on the desert there. And uh, man, I flew, as a matter of fact, I told them Sunday night, I flew over the Sinai Peninsula. And I looked out the, the window of the aircraft and I looked down there where that, where that little region right there, that Sinai Peninsula where the Suez Canal goes into that Gulf of Arabia right there, and I looked at that, and as soon as you got away from the water, there wasn't anything out there but wasteland. And so that's where he went to school and was out there for 40 years. So he was 80 brethren before he came back to do a work for God and went in there to Pharaoh and said, Hey, you know, thus saith I am that I am. Let my people go. He was 80 years old. What about Caleb? How old was Caleb? Caleb was about 85 years of age. He said, I was young once and now I'm old, basically. And he said, man, what did he say? I want that mountain. I want that mountain where the great Sylvester were. We sing that song, right? He said, man, that's where those giants were. They kept us out of here for 40 years. 
And, uh, and so I, I want that mountain. I'm just going to show them. I, I, you know what he said? Hey, because I wholly follow the Lord, W-H-O-L-L-Y, I'm able to go out and I'm able to come in. What are you saying? Man, I'm still fit. I'm still able to do this. So, uh, so the idea that we can't run our race because we're a little older is just something up here between the headsets. That's just something between the ears. All right? Age is just a number. Is it not so, brother, when you're riding up and down a sand dune? Is it not so when you're going up and down a mountain in Colorado? It's just a number, right? It is just a number. Brother, you told me I hadn't been here probably two weeks, and you said, I guess it's just in my blood. I trimmed one up today. Do you remember saying that? Yes. Yeah. What, what happened? I mean, still, still, still working on horses. You hadn't forgot which end to work on, right? <laughs> Amen. That's good. That's good. I mean, so I, I'm just saying that you and I, we still have a race to run. As long as you're drawing breath, you're in the running. You're in the run. And that's, that's not true, ladies, of the men. That's also true of yourself. And I know that there are limitations. I'm not trying to get anybody to be trying to be 25 again and tempt the Lord or be foolish. That's not what this is about. Because the battlefield has always been and always will be in the mind. It is in the mind. And, uh, and so let's look at these passages. I just got... Just a few things here for you. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the house, all right? Uh, but many times, you know, in the Bible, that the Christian life, the Christian experience is likened unto some of the occupations. Sometimes, you know, we're told, Paul told Timothy to endure hardness as a, as a good soldier, right? So sometimes it's about soldiering. Sometimes, hey, study to show thyself approved unto God. That's about being a student. Sometimes it is about being an athlete, and that's what I'm looking at here. Notice what it says in the, past, in the passage, and let us run the race with patience that is set before. That sort of sounds like a runner to me. That sounds like some sort of athletic endeavor, but it's not the physical race. It's the spiritual race that you and I are supposed to run. And so here in this passage, the Holy Spirit focuses on, on that, and so let's look at those things, all right? When you think about when you think about someone who's going to run a race, don't you have to think about them being in training just a little bit? You know, you just don't jump up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to be a, a cross-country runner. <laughs> uh, you know, it, you, that just doesn't happen. So there has to there has to be what? There has to be some preparation, right? There has to be some preparation for running. I, I know I know uh, that I don't look like a runner. All right. I know that I don't. I was a football player, and I I wrestled in high school. I really liked that better than I did about than than I did football. And uh, but I remember when I was in uh, I think it was in eighth grade. Can y'all go back? Can y'all remember that where you were in, in eighth grade? I was at Parkway South in the eighth grade, and I was I was an offensive tackle. And uh, and man, it was in those days, you know, when you wore the shoes and all that they gave us, you know, the spikes, they had real cleats on them. They, they were made of something, they weren't a Nerf material like probably they are today. This had a piece of metal that was actually screwed into the bottom of my cleats and you tighten them up on there with a, with a wrench and so forth and they stuck down about a good inch. I mean, you, they, I don't know what they thought she was going to be climbing, like Mount Everest or whatever, but I had those things on. And of course, I had the kind like Johnny Unitas wore. 
Do you remember the Johnny United shoes? They were high top. They looked like combat boots. And, uh, you know, that's the kind that I had to wear. I didn't get those little sleek ones like all the halfbacks and fullbacks had. And, uh, and so I had those Johnny United shoes. And so, man, where our field was, uh, it was down below. And so we come out of, we come out of the field house and, man, the pom-pom girls are shaking the pom-poms and the band's playing. It's a home game. And, man, we got a white uniform and I got red letters with number 64 on the front and back of my jersey and I got my pads and everything and man we're running down together and we have to go down this uh this hillside where the bleachers are set up we didn't have a fancy stadium but we had we had the field and then we had that cinder track you remember running on cinders you know it must have been left over from the coal business or whatever they said man this stuff's not good for much else so we'll let teenagers run around the track on it all right and so uh and so Going down there, man, and I'm watching everything that's going on, the excitement. And somehow, sister, I don't know how it happened, but man, I got them Johnny United shoes all tangled up. And over I went, and we just looked like and we just looked like uh, bowling pins, you know, white with red stripes on them. And down we went, and I rolled out, and several of my buddies, we all rolled out onto that cinder track. We got up the we hadn't heard the first whistle, Brother Larry, and we were already dirty. <laughs> off of those cinders and so uh you know I, I i i'm not a runner per se but i remember all that you know all that we had to do the preparation sprints and the, all the things and you know an athlete has got to be has got to have some preparation if they're going to participate and, and do well in what they're doing so we had drills, and you probably had those things if you were an athlete. If you if you participated in any of those things in high school, you probably saw all that as well. You had to have some practice. And one of the things that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, it had to do with about running that race, right? And they're going to they do it to receive a what? A corruptible crown, but for us it's an incorruptible one. And one of the things that he said is that we have to be temperate. An athlete must be temperate. What does that mean? To be temperate means that you're going to enter into a certain mindset, if you will, of being disciplined. It means usually for an athlete, it means you're going to have a change in your diet. You're not, you're not going to go home and drink the, the, you're not going to go home and drink the snacks and the Cokes and all those kind of things. Man, I remember in wrestling, gosh, man, we, well, I ate grapefruit and we had a lot of proteins and things and They'd put us in a room and the, there were mats everywhere. They'd seal the room up and they would turn up the temperature. And I had to, you know, a, a gym clothes on underneath. And then on top of that, I had some plastic sweats. They were plastic and you put those on over the top of you. And then over that, you put that sweat suit, you know, with a hoodie and things. They turned that up and man, you exercise, you did all those things, the physical training, and then you wrestled in there with somebody else that had the same get up. And man, when I would get out of there and get cleaned up, I'd take that plastic sweat, open up, and I'm telling you, a bucket load of water would come out. All of that. And so our diet, because what were we trying to do? We were trying to take care of any extra body fat we had on us. And, uh, and so I wrestled 165 was the weight class that I was in. And so we had to do all that and get all that off of there. We were trying to make weight, eating grapefruit, and, and just we had a change in our diet. And beloved, the same thing is true when you and I got saved. God changed our diet. What we started feeding on. And you know, that hasn't changed. 
It hasn't changed in, in the years since we've been saved. It's the same. We're to feed on the things of God. We're to have an appetite for those things. And it was something that, did I necessarily like grapefruit? No. But it was what the coach said. Man, eat those hard-boiled eggs. Get those proteins. Get that grapefruit in you. Eat those things. Man, I had to have meat. I had to have all that stuff. Drink that milk. Get that in there. Everything that had to do with building muscle. And so for that, so that for that period of time, we had to feed on those things. And so too, our diet is supposed to change. We can, you know, since we got saved, our, our appetites ought to be different. And what did he say? Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And so this is not about hemming you up or whatever. I'm just saying that as, as a runner in the race, running for the glory of God, that sometimes our diet has to change. Our, our discipline. Our dedication, you know, you know, to do that, to stay after school and do those things and make those meets and, and be committed to that, it takes some dedication, didn't it? Were, were any of you all on a team or whatever in school? Did you, did you, what, what, what? Eighth grade football. Eighth grade football. That's when I played football. Brother Larry, you basketball? No. No, okay. Did, did, did you participate in any sports? Okay, all right. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't like, oh, were you roping? Is that what you did, brother? Yeah, I, I, you know, I used to teach some students. They didn't have, they didn't throw a football or baseball at lunchtime. They set up some little metal steers and they all brought rope and stuff with them. And they would rope those things, heads and heels. Believe it or not, in Sulphur, Louisiana, that's a big deal. Rodeo's a big deal. I never went to, I never saw a high school that had a rodeo arena until I saw Sulphur High. And uh, they have their own rodeo arena there. It's a big deal. But, uh, but either way, it takes commitment. That's what those young people, they were committed to it. And, and the girls, man, they all wanted to be barrel racers. You know, that's all they wanted to do. And so it takes some dedication. And it takes some commitment on, on our part. If we're going to run our race, even at this age, what did Paul say? Hey, I, what? I finished my course. He didn't have to apologize. He, 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 didn't, he never became a used-to-be. Or I was. I was going to do this. That didn't happen. He was willing to submit himself to the preparations that it took to run that race. And even in our own hearts and minds, beloved, we're still called upon to do that because we're still in the race. You know, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Aren't they? The gifts that you have been given, they're to be used for the glory of God and for the good of others for the health of the church. And so, uh, and so it's not a time, you know, the book of Proverbs said, well, just a little, just a little slumber, just a little folding of the hands, you know, and that's not where the Lord wants us. I don't think he's trying to wear us out, if you will. That's what the devil does, try to wear out the saints. But that's not what God does. You know, the outward man perishes, but what about that inward man? It says he's renewed day by day. That's what I'm talking about. Having that mindset, Lord, what's on the plate for me today? I'm showing up present for duty. Didn't you have to do that? Didn't you have to do that when using the service? I know if you didn't like to exercise, that you know they could make it where <laughs> that you exercise till you learn to like exercise, right? They called it PT. Uh, that to me that was short for punishment, but that that was physical training, sisters. What that was. But uh, but man, we had to do all that running and sit ups and jumping jacks and all those things. 
They didn't care how hot it was. They didn't care about any of that stuff. They just said, you're going to get out there. Because you know why? Because the enemy didn't care how hot it was. And do you, you know where most men got in trouble in Vietnam during that era? I know that's a little bit after your time, a little bit after. But you know what, what, what the enemy counted on Americans to do? The American soldiers were known for their, their love for the shade. They loved being in the shade. And in those jungles, it would be so steaming and so sweltering because of the tremendous heat that was generated by the rain and so forth there that they would try to find a shady spot. And so those Viet Cong, they would put booby traps in the shady places. They were counting on the nature of a man. When I was in survival school, they told us the way that you get away. He said, you got to remember that enemy soldier. He is a soldier too, just like you. And he's probably not getting paid much. And he might have an attitude just like yours that I'm not going to do much more than what's required of me. They said, but if you'll take the, if you'll take the most dangerous route and the most difficult route, he said, you'll survive to fight again another day. He said, because the average man won't go there. And so that's what we were taught, you know, to do those things. And that's a mindset. Because you've got to get past the shock of being in behind enemy lines. You've got to get past the shock of maybe having an injury when you bailed out or were shot down. You had to get past that up here so you could make it to that place so you could get away. And, and beloved, it's the same way here. Don't give up in your mind. Yes, your body may fail you. We look at the things, the circumstances, but man, God's still on the throne. He's still on the throne and we still have a race to run. I don't know how long your race is. Nobody knows how long their race is. But I just know it requires some preparation and we're still running that race. Even, even seasoned athletes, they still go through training, don't they? Yes, they do. Don't they exercise those horses, brother? Just because they won one race, that they can't live off of that. They're going to have to be trained and exercised in preparation for the next. So too it is for us. And so look, look at look at verse twelve. Look, correction. Look at chapter twelve. Look at verse one. So there, there is the preparation. It talks about laying aside every weight and sin. You know, not all, not all weights are sinful in and of themselves. But a weight is something that can get in your way. You know, my dad used to say a lean horse can run a long race. He worked, on, he worked with Morgan horses uh, bef before uh, he got married and so forth and was a groomsman for them. And my son-in-law was a groomsman for these equestrian riders and traveled up and down the, the uh, eastern sea, seaboard uh, for all those jumpers and everything. And, uh, but, you know, laying aside and sometimes, you know, it's, it's almost like a boat. It's hard to launch a boat when you're still tied to the dock. It, it is. And so you got to cut those things. And so sometimes love of family can get in the way. Love of ease can get in the way. Love of comforts can get in the way. The family that I visited there, Brother Chad Wells, on the wall, sister, you'd appreciate this, on the wall, of their home, I took a picture of it, and it said, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And you know what they had pictures of? They had pictures of their grandchildren and their children around that statement. And they said, because a lot of missionaries go home once their grandchildren are born. 
And they said, we've determined by the grace of God we're not going to do that. We're going to be here. And she said, that's just a reminder for me when I get to feeling blue or maybe I, I've not, maybe things aren't just exactly the way I like them. She said, it's just there to remind me. I thought, man, that was commendable. Amen. And that's what you and I've got to have sometimes. And whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, to be content. And so, uh, you know, maybe I know some people, the love of a job. There's a man, his name was, was Thurston, and he became a magician, but he had, was a Christian. And he was on his way to Bible school, of all things, and his train, true story, his train was delayed or something, and he had a little bit of time, so he, he just decided to walk outside the train station and see the big city where he was, and he found his way into a theater where a magician was, was performing. And he was so thrilled with that magician. You know what he did? He, he, he traded in his tickets and he didn't go off to Bible school and he decided to take up a being a magician and a performer. And that's what he did with the remainder of his life. What a waste. What a waste. And you, you, you don't want to get to the end of the trail and find out that you missed the will of God and spent... 95 or 96% of it out of the will of God and 4% in. We don't want to do that. So sometimes you got to, just like what do we say for mom, sometimes you got to cut the, what, the apron strings. Yeah. You got to cut the cords. That's right. Sometimes you got to do that. And even on the things that attract us here, sometimes if we're going to launch out and do the will of God. I, I, there's a missionary couple I know, the Muldoons, they're in Baimuru. That is a, uh, a swamp, mosquito-infested place. And he's the guy that was a, he was like a chuck wagon. He was a teamster. And he would take these long, hundreds of miles, brother, these trail rides. And he would do all this stuff. Anyway, at 65, he went to, uh, he went to buy Muru in Papua New Guinea and doing a work. And he's, he's, probably, he's probably 70 now, doing a work. There's a lot of, there, a lot of the young people are not, going to the mission field. It's a lot of other seasoned saints that are going to the mission. I told you about Dr. Burroughs, Dean Burroughs, had been in Bangladesh for 30 years. He would establish a church and a, and a hospital and train staff there to manage the hospital, do all that. His wife was a surgical nurse. I saw him at 65 in a mission conference and the Lord had changed his mission field. He'd been 30 years in Bangladesh and now he's going to the Ivory Coast of Africa. And that's on the western coast, and there the predominant language is French. So he'd been speaking Farsi or Bengali or whatever they speak there in Bangladesh. And at one of the prayer requests he had, he said, uh, Brethren, would you pray for me that I could learn French so that I could teach these people? And so he was going to have to learn French at 65. Yeah. Now listen, I'm not saying that God's going to call you, Brother Larry, to the mission field. All right? But the idea is to be willing to go if that was the will of God. Amen. Just to be willing. That's what I'm saying. So the battle's up here. So it takes some preparation. It, it also takes some patience. Notice what it says. And let us run with patience. And notice how it's put. The race that is set before us. You don't get to choose the race. It's not a hundred yard dash. We're not sprinters. We are long distance runners. Long distance. 
And you know what? You can't compare yourself. If you, if, when you're running, this I know, you can't cross over into somebody else's lane. Can't do that. You've got to stay in your lane. You can't compare yourself to somebody else. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote and said, those that compare themselves among themselves and number themselves among themselves, the last three words says, are not wise to do that. You've got to run your race. You can't run somebody else's and you can't, and somebody else can't uh, give you their race to run. Listen, there was only one Abraham, only one Moses, only one Paul, only one Timothy, only one Titus. They each had their functions and there's only one of, there's only one of each of us. And we just need to focus our attention on the race that God has set before us. You know, uh, you know, the, so there's so many prima donnas in the sports world today, you know, if everything is not just the way they want it, that, you know, they're not happy with a $5 million contract. Gosh, I mean, I wonder what the water boy gets. I have a friend that I was in high school with. He, uh, you know, he had a bone density problem as a young man. And I don't know if he ever outgrew it or not, but I remember carrying him off one time. He had a broken femur. I carried him off the, off the uh, playground once, as I recall. A good friend of mine, best friend at the time, uh, when I was in school, elementary school, and my parents loved him because he could name all the bones in the body. He broke just about all of them, and uh, and he was a swimmer. You know, he never he, he couldn't be like in a contact sport because of this problem, but it was no problem for him swimming. So he was always lean and tan and. And uh, man, and I like the car that his parents had. Man, they had a '57 T-Bird. Remember those things, man? I mean, it was really cool. And so, uh, and all those things. But when I saw that Biff had gone on to college, went to the University of Missouri, and he was a trainer there for the for the uh, uh, part of the team there that they played, the University of Missouri. And then later on, he we graduated with a degree in microbiology but he became the trainer for the St. Louis Cardinals football team. And I saw something on Facebook that he got together with a bunch of the old Cardinal players and they did something, some benefit or whatever. And there's Biff looking tan and lean and, you know, got his suspenders on and everything, looking sharp, just like how he did when he was a boy. And, uh, but, you know, but that was his thing. He became a trainer and, and, uh, and did the like. And so, so, it's a. It's not. A, it's not a hundred yard dash. It's the race of a lifetime that you and I are in, and so and it takes patience. That means endurance. And I was thinking about man, what Moses learned at forty. Could you just imagine seeing him there? All right, what? Maybe he probably looked at his wife, said, "Zipporah, what do I do with these sheep?" You know, and she said, "Well, that's what the staff is for." I mean, hey, the Bible doesn't give any light there, and I'm not trying to, but I'm just saying that. That the Moseses and the, and the Caleb's of the Bible, they were real people in real situations. Moses had to unlearn all that stuff out of Egypt and learn how to take care of those sheep. And Zipporah had lots of practice because there were no brothers in her family. They were all girls, remember? And she's out there tending to those flocks. So he could learn a lot from her. Took some patience some patience and and you know the older we get it seems like the less of that we have oh you know the only thing that helps patience to grow is tribulation <laughs> it's a shame you know tribulation worketh patience 
Like that muscle. You can't get better. You can't get stronger if you're not willing to lift some weights. All right? It takes patience. And so what I think about that is God's timing. God's time. Just like for me, I, I, I didn't know that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. If you were to ask me this a year ago, one year back up to where I am right now, I, man, I'll get ready for mission conference. I'm not thinking about pastor. And I wasn't thinking about Ranchero Drive. I was just, the last orders I had was to be at East River. But you don't know what a day's going to bring. But God knew. And, uh, and so, uh, if that be true of me, that's also true of each of you. It's also true. So don't ever count him out. We just have to run with patience the race that's set before us. You don't get to choose the race that you're going to run. You don't get to choose that. I was talking about those athletes, you know, being such prima donnas and so forth. You know, could you imagine if you were, let's say you'd practice with your dad all your life. I practiced so I could play first base and the coach says, hey, I want you in right field. Yeah, but I already got the first baseman's mitt. You know, they got a special mitt, right? Baseball for first baseman. And they're like, I'm left-handed coach. I mean, I could stretch a lot further than the right-handed guy can. You know, I can reach out there. No, yeah, but I want you in right field. Yeah, but coach, I want to, you know what? You know what? If you argue with the captain and the coach, you're not going to play many games. So it just means yielding yourself in this patience of where you are in your life, yielding. And then the last thing, I want you to see this. And there's a pattern. There's a pattern for us to follow. Notice what it says. Look at verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you know he had some obstacles? The obstacle that he had to overcome to run his race, it was always his will versus the will of the Father. It's the same thing that we have to contend with. Not my will. Remember, hey, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, if we're going to run our, our race to the end and finish our course with joy like Paul did, and, and the Lord, then we're going to have to yield ourselves to that. Your will versus his will. You know, when you, when you have a coach and he... He does know best. He looks at those things and he says, man, this is where you need to be. This is how you can increase your steps or your speed or whatever it might be. That's why you got a coach. And this is someone who's already run. He's not a novice. Man, he's the author, the leader, and the, and the finisher of our faith. And he endured those things. Notice what it says. You know, he endured the cross. You know, sometimes the will of God, beloved, it has to be endured. Sometimes the will of God is not always enjoyed. Now, you know, I'm going to ask Ezekiel about that. You know, when I get there, I'm going to ask him about, man, remember he had to shave half his beard off? Remember that? Shave half his beard and the things he had to eat? He had to eat stuff with dung in it? You know, why, was the, why did the Lord have you do that? But he had to do it. What's the will of God? He didn't question, said, man. You know, the last time somebody questioned something about, about what to eat, remember that was Peter. Three times the Lord had to show him. He knew he was a little hard-headed. Three times that, that sheet came down, and three times that, that the Lord said, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And he said, man, I've never eaten anything that's common or, if you will, unclean. Had to show him three times. That what I've cleansed is clean. You can eat this and eat it. 
My will versus his will. Has he ever, have you ever done a little battle sometimes? My will versus his will? I did when I was thinking about surrender to the ministry. I had my mind set on something else, but that wasn't the will of God. And I ran, and my family suffered for that. When I say I ran, I, I was no better than a Jonah. I wasn't nearly as important as a Jonah. But my point is, is that, yeah, I, I had my will, and God had his will, and everything I touched, it just went down. Until I said, yes, I raised that white flag, and I submitted myself. That's that part about laying aside every weight and the sin. I believe that the sin, that's a very particular one. I think it's unbelief. It's in the light of Hebrews 11. That's the hall of faith, the chapter of faith, right? The sin. Unbelief is the soil in which all of the sins grow. That's what Spurgeon said. It's the parent of every evil sin unbelief is. And, uh, and that was my thing. I just didn't believe that that's what was in my best interest. And so the Lord had to show me. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and I had to yield to that and deal with that. And so, so notice, notice what happened. So he has to deal with this. Look at verse 3. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You know what? There are some people that they're going to let somebody else knock them out of the saddle and you can't do that people will fail you and you can't let what they do be the deciding factor about what you and I are going to do we've got to do the will of God whether family goes along with me or not whether friends go along with me or not I've got to finish my course I've got to run my race pardon me and I want to be in it for the last amen and the last shout don't you yeah, amen. And, I, and what somebody else does, I still have an obligation to do right. I still have an obligation to follow. And so that's the race. And, you know, and that's what an athlete does. Gonna, you know, there's a lot of starters in things, aren't there? There's not, all, not a lot of finishers sometimes. And so we need to finish. And so the Lord, what contradiction of sinners. Those who opposed him. Remember, even Peter, one of his own. Peter went from hero to zero in just a few verses, right? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. You know, from, uh, you know, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, and you're going to get the keys and all these things. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. Not so, Lord. And man, I mean right away, what a, get thee behind me, Satan. Man, I mean, he went from a saint to Satan, you know, in just a few words. Yeah, such a contradiction. And notice how it puts this. The timing of things. Look at, look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such things, lest you be wearied and faint where? In your mind. In your mind. And look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I'm, I'm almost done. I just want you to go to, I want you to go to, one other place with me. I want you to go to Hebrews 5. You know, the Lord Jesus, when we look at him and we consider him, we see his purpose. His purpose was to do the will of God. His passion, in spite of those who got in the way. Remember the Bible said in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, he set his face like a flint. 
He was determined, you know, to go to the cross. Hebrews, look in chapter 5 with me. But we also see his perfecting. You say, well, man, brother, he was God. Yes, he was. But notice what this says. These are some of those unusual verses that are in the Bible. Look at this. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Book of Hebrews. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, now watch, and supplications. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus. And supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And was heard in that he feared. Who's he writing about there? He's writing about the Lord. You know, we, we get we get confused, or not confused, but I think I think sometimes we minimize the humanity of our Lord because he was it's it's you know, when you you try to explain to somebody God manifest in the flesh. That's hard to do, but he was hundred percent God, but he was also hundred percent man. That's why he's our example. That's why, that's why he became the son of God, became the son of man, so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. And, and, and so uh, he did that. And notice what it says. He feared. I think that's why that passion, Father, if there be out of the way, let this cup pass from me. Why? It, on the God side, he knew what he was going to face. I mean, why else would he have sweat drops as of blood there was great stress now watch look at verse 8 though he were a son notice that's a capital S-O-N that's the deity though he were a son yet learned Jesus learned he did what did he learn he learned what it was like to be hungry he learned what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was to be thirsty. Remember? The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He knew what it was like. Something he never experienced before in eternity past. Had never been through that. And yet he did that. Now watch. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. He learned obedience. Man. I look at this thing. He feared, he learned, he obeyed, he suffered, verse 8, and then what? And being made perfect. We see his perfection. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Listen to this in chapter 2, verse 18. I'm. Uh, I'm only going to read this to you. Listen to what this said. For verily he took not on him the, no, the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now watch. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That means to come to my aid, to relieve me. That's why when we say to people that don't know the Lord, man, he knows. He's experienced what you and I have experienced as we run our race. You know, it's one thing to sympathize with someone. It's a bigger deal to be able to empathize with them. And our great Savior can do those things. He empathizes with us, and that's why the Bible says of him, 
that he's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He's touched by that, beloved. Don't ever forget that as you're running your race, that there's someone on the sidelines, and man, he is looking at you, and he's watching you and encouraging you. I mean, even the race car drivers, when they go around, man, there's somebody in the pit crew. They're holding up a sign trying to give him some information like, hey, you're either ahead or pull in here or whatever, man. I mean, why? They're trying to stay in touch. And your heavenly Father, through your high priest, if you will, and the Holy Spirit inside of us is there to help us run our race. And we are in a race. And I don't care if you're 8 or you're 80 or 88. You're in a race. We got a coach. Remember, brother, what you told me when I got here? You said every team's got a captain. And you're our captain. And I want to say to us, church, you know what? We got a captain. Amen. Amen. And I, I'm going to finish with this, with this one little thought. And then I'm going to be done. I promise. I'm not going to lie. There was a little girl. And she was about 10 years old, and she used to, her dad was a schooner captain. And he would, remember when the fast sailing schooners, they would travel between England and North America? They would cross that North Atlantic, a schooner sailing, masted ship, and they were very swift. And this little girl, she would ask her father all the time, can I come to America? Can I ride on the schooner? Can, will you take me to America? And he would tell her, no, lass, I can't do that, not now, no, lass. And he would put her off and put her off and put her off. She'd just been pestering and pestering him. And, uh, and so finally, one, you know, just to, just to be done with her, he said, okay, you can go on this trip. And she was so excited. She got her things together. And, man, she gets in the bottom of that ship and the berthing. And away she goes, and she's fast asleep as they're traveling. And all of a sudden, she wakes up in the middle of the night. Man screams, and she hears howling wind, and all the gale is blowing out there. You know, the North Atlantic, it can be a rough place, can't it, brother? You've been out there. And man, she hears all that going on. And man, the purser of the ship, the purser is there. He's going from birth to birth. He's trying to calm all these people that are sailing on their way to America. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And his waistcoat, he, he feels something tugging at his waistcoat. And, and he looks down at that little girl. And she said, is my father on the deck? And he looked at her and said, yes, lass, he is. He said with that, that little girl turned right around, went back to her berth, got in her bed, and was fast asleep. She wasn't frightened like everybody else was because her father was on the deck. And what ought to be an encouragement to us is who's piloting our ship. Amen? Man, our father is on the deck. And the storms of life, the circumstances of life, He'll give grace, and we ought to be like that little girl. Amen? She had such great confidence in what her father could do. Boy, we ought to have that. Amen? Confidence in our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, I so thank you for my church family, God, and I thank you for the truth of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that you're on the deck of my ship and of this ship, Ranch Herald Drive Baptist Church, and the lives of these dear saints. Lord, I pray that like, Lord, like that little girl, a true story, Father, she had just ultimate confidence in what her father could do. And Lord, we hear so many things and we read so many things that can cause us worry and doubt and sometimes even fear. But Lord, we know that you're on the deck and we trust you implicitly, Lord. And I pray you'll strengthen us in the race that we have to run. 
I pray you'll bless now our people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.